What's up, all you rebels? Welcome to another edition of Rebel Parenting. I'm your host, Ryan Dobbs, and we've got a great broadcast for you today. Our guest today is Becca DeFelice. She's got a book called Almost There. I got to tell you, this interview really did minister to me. The book did, but talking to her did as well, because I've just kind of felt like I don't know. I've just been in a rough patch. I felt a little scattered. I've traveled so much and I've worked for so long without a day off that I just feel a little bit detached maybe. And that's what this book is about. It's about putting down roots wherever you're at. And uh, I just enjoyed it so much. What a great person and a great interview. You are going to love that. Before we get into it, are you signed up for the text alerts? Because we are doing some seriously great stuff on the live videos on Facebook every Monday and Friday at 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern, facebook.com slash J Ryan Dobson. And if you're not signed up for the podcast, but if you're listening, of course you are, you got to help people sign up for the podcast because we are podcasting the audio of those live videos now. And Seeing it and being able to interact is so much more fun because when you hear me talk to people, there's people interacting with me on the live videos. You can be there too. It's every Monday and Friday, 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern, facebook.com slash J Ryan Dobson. And to get those text alerts, text the word rebel to 444-999. That lets you know when the live broadcasts are starting so you can all join in. All right, let's jump into Becca DeFelice right here on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. Becca, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. We love your book, Almost There. There's some correlations in our life and in your life that really spoke to us, and we just love that you tackled this topic, and we appreciate you being on the broadcast today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, and you're actually from Colorado Springs. You've come full circle. You were in the Springs, and you've moved a couple places, and you're back here again and yeah. that really kind of starts this place about mm-hmm. what does it mean to be home? Uh, you know, one of Laura and I's favorite songs is Home is Whenever I'm With You. Oh, we love that song. And, <laughs> you know, when you feel unsettled, when you feel like you're away from home, that can be a big deal. And this book, Almost There, really does speak to that. How did this enter you? How did you decide, I've got to write about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So I was living in Yuma, Arizona at the time. Do you know? Sorry. Yuma, yeah, Arizona? we do know that place. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I always ask people because they're like, no, Yuma? Where's that? So I didn't well, know where it was either. Most people I don't. So it's between, <laughs> it's between <laughs> San Diego them. and Phoenix. It is a border town. In a desert. Um, in a full-fledged desert. I've been through Yuma. I've been in Yuma. And here's the thing. People that live in Yuma and love it, awesome. No problem. Yeah. But when you live in Colorado, Springs at around five, 6,000 uh, feet above sea level mm-hmm. at the base of Pikes Peak <laughs> with Garden of the Gods in your background and the Aspens changing yeah. in the wintertime yeah. and all of that. And then being newly married and being uprooted and stuck in Yuma, that's a big culture shock. Stuck in Yuma yeah. for a good reason, though. We just want to thank you for your military service. Yeah. We appreciate oh. you as a military wife and Tell yep. your husband we thank him for his service for our mm, country. Definitely. And then go on to how yeah. bad Yuma is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, well, thank you for saying that. That's so kind of you both. But I was in Yuma, and I, I called it almost Mexico because it is kind of a <laughs> yeah. land in between. You're in between big cities. And um, during that time, we were in Yuma for three years. My husband was either wow. gone or deployed for more than half of it. And so it was a time of a lot of isolation. So Mm. I think it was during that time where I started to think through 
all of the sources of my homesickness. There was a geographical homesickness of mm. being far from Colorado, mm. which you guys described. It's amazing, best state in the country, obviously. Um, <laughs> but then being estranged from home in the sense that my husband was gone, so mm. there was a relational homesickness. Um, I think we can have a spiritual sense of homesickness as well. So it was kind of in those years of being far away from all sorts of um, sources of stability mm. that the idea started churning inside me. Oh, yeah. I mean, you talk about spiritual homesickness. I didn't even think about that. But when I travel a lot and I don't get to go to church, my pastor, Glenn, I mean, I dig that guy and I want to know what he thinks. And I feel more yeah. grounded when I listen to him for an hour. My brain just goes, oh, yeah, you got your Glenn fix this week. And when you don't have that, you feel spiritually lonely. It's not that you don't pray. It's not that you can't read your Bible or listen to a podcast. But the normalcy, you know, you're you're homesick because of your home. You're homesick because of the geographic location. And then spiritually, that's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's easy to not even see the ways that your spiritual life hinges on a church culture or or even spiritual disciplines attached to a place like you oh, have yeah. a really great, great quiet time in like a certain chair in your house mm-hmm. or you go for walks around your neighborhood. And then once you're removed from that context, yeah. I mean, church shopping and then trying to figure out how to cultivate spiritual disciplines in a new context, it's tough. It's really tough. Mm. Definitely. Definitely. So how did you start feeling more at home, even as you're in a faraway place or and a new place yeah. or having your husband gone or a church that maybe, you know, it's got some of the things you like, but you've settled on a number of other things. How do you start to feel grounded? How do you feel stable? Yeah, that's a really good question. <clears throat> so I think that um, when you are in a new place there, before you start getting settled, there's kind of this gap where you have to mourn the loss of what came before. Mm. And I always, when I get that question, I always want to skip to the part. It's like, well, I did this and this and this, and then it was all just fine. <laughs> but yeah. there was yeah. <laughs> like a really important period of grieving what had come before and then not really knowing how to begin. And I love this quote by Oswald Chambers where um, he talks about how God gets us alone so he can speak to us Mm -hmm. when we're listening to no other voice. Mm. And so I think that before I knew how to settle, there was a really important season of being alone and coming to God like, okay, now, now what, Mm -hmm. how do I do this now? Um, So there was some fundamental, um, like some foundation building in my faith of learning how to pray in a more specific way, learning how to church shop, even when I'm or church shop is a terrible word, how to get invested in a faith community um, was really important. And then I think beyond that, learning how to engage in community in a new place, like being a pursuer of people, meeting someone like at the park or at work and you're like, hey, do you want to grab coffee afterwards, even at the risk of sounding weird and too forward? <laughs> like, totally. Hi, yeah. I'm yeah. here looking for friends. <laughs> yeah. Can you see her? <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, I like what that you started strength. with oh, yeah. I like that you started with the grief part because mm-hmm. you're right. I think so often, especially in the faith community, we want to gloss over the grief. We want to get past yeah. it. We want to just pretend like, well, you know, some people have that. But really, if you love the Lord enough and if you if you say the right prayers, then then that'll just be a little blip in the on the radar. No big right. deal. But it is. There's a loss. When Laura and I moved here, 
we really felt the Lord saying, move to Colorado Springs, and we did not want to do it. We lived in San Clemente, California. We could see the ocean from our front door. Yeah, it was a dream come true. We're going to surf our way to happy destiny. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Laura had Laura had never lived further than seven miles from the ocean in all 30 years of living. And then we moved to Colorado where it's gorgeous, but there's no beach and for real yeah. no beach. And it's a different loneliness. Like, I had him, but I, I get on a, yeah. on a less degree what you're sharing about mm-hmm. having to go, hey, want to get coffee with me? I'm new to the area. Or, and my husband's yeah, going to be gone for six si- months. Yeah. That's a big That's one. That's huge. Oof. I mean, you don't get that character development anywhere else. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So I'm proud of you, Becca. Well, and Becca, there's another section in your book where you talk about identity. And one of the big ones at Rebel here is we're trying to find our identity in the Lord. And that's, you know, obviously we believe that. And, you know, you as a runner, that's a big deal. Laura and I were talking about this just last night. And I was thinking, I I work out every morning. It's like I'm obsessive Mm -hmm. about it. And I was saying... If I got sick again, uh, you know, I was in the hospital for a while and I had some some issues. Mm. If I wasn't allowed to work out anymore, I don't know who I'd be. I'd I really to, don't. Yeah, it, we'd have to find something. It would be a huge, huge <laughs> challenge. And you were a runner. You ran with your mom. Describe your running background because that'll give people a little more perspective on having to lose that. Yeah. So just like you said, my mom was a runner. Uh all of us kids grew up either riding our bikes next to my mom as she ran or mm-hmm. then eventually growing up to run with her. And it became not just part of my own identity, but it felt like a family legacy that we all ran. Um, and so I, I think I leaned on it, especially when I was far from home living in Arizona. I ran even more because it felt like a way to access a part of home that could come with me. Does that make sense? Like, totally. like a, a habit that felt familiar. You know what yep. I mean? Um, so I ran a lot. I ran several marathons in a very small amount of time. And at 24, I destroyed my hip. Actually, wow. during a marathon, I did some damage and saw a doctor afterwards and had some major surgery. And after that, they basically said, you're, you're done running. Like, you can go for nice walks and run a little bit here and there maybe, but this is Mm. the end of this chapter for you. And I have this line where I joke in the book, like, does God even like me without muscle tone? I'm not even (laughs) sure (laughs) what comes after this part of my identity that it didn't just seem like a hobby. It felt like a spiritual practice to me. Ryan, I don't know if you feel like this when you work out in the morning, but Sometimes it, it felt like a time I could really connect with God, whether it was listening to podcasts or praying or listening to worship music. Mm. It felt like um, just something in my life that became more than just something I did. It became a pathway to meeting with the Lord. And so when that was gone, like really uh, uncertain about not only how to fill my time, but how do I interact with the Lord besides, you know, going to church and some of the other more traditional means of, of like spiritual discipline. Totally. Yeah. So how did you wade through it to get clear on your identity? Yeah, that is a really great question. So I started writing actually. Oh, and nice. <laughs> isn't that so funny? <laughs> <laughs> how awesome. I love that. Yeah. 
So you asked earlier earlier about the genesis of this book, and the idea was brewing for a long time, but it wasn't until I stopped running that I actually started putting words to paper, not even for anyone else's benefit, but to kind of articulate my own story as a way of kind of getting to the bottom of my own identity, which is what we're talking mm. about here. Perfect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so not running and you know, there's so many things with that. You've got people you run with, you get people that know you run, you have people that ask about your next race mm-hmm. or the next marathon. And yeah. there's a look, you know, there's a body that goes yeah. along with, with running. It, yeah. All of those things, you know, I mean, again, we start with that grief process, but when hearing that, I remember I had a, um, I had a chiropractor, uh, that didn't know what he was doing, tell me I couldn't long distance bike ride anymore. And I go, oh, well, how long do you think a long distance is? And he said, how long is your ride to work? And I was like, it's only 15 miles. And he goes, oh, no, no, that's way too long. And I was like, well, yeah. that's, <laughs> you know. When he said that, it was like, it was devastating. And then I got to a doctor that knew what he was doing and I didn't yeah. have to do that, so it was different. But what are those processes, you know, where... In a way, like we've talked about addiction and uh, sexuality, things like that, they're triggers. So, you know, a year mm-hmm. a year into it, you're still not running. And I, what is that like? What are the things that trigger yeah. you? Is it is it a, a restlessness, an anxiousness? Is it a look? Is it a feel? Is it someone asks you? Mm-hmm. How do you get back into that and recenter yourself when you go, oh, yeah, I'm not that thing anymore, and you still miss it? Hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's a really great, <laughs> penetrating question. I had a really hard time when I would go drove when I would drive somewhere and I would see somebody running on the mm. sidewalk oh, a long yeah. time. That was really hard for me. It was oh. a trigger, and I would feel this sense of regret or yeah. loss. Or my husband is still very much a runner, so mm. he ran a marathon shortly after I had this surgery. And I remember being at the finish line, like, oh this just stinks because it used to be something we did together and now it's not. Mm -hmm. So I think anytime you revisit those times it used to be something you could do and now it's something you can't do, it definitely stings. And I'm, I'm trying to think if there's any one thing that helped it sting less besides just time. Walking through it. Living. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe you guys know, but it's getting distance from the time it felt like the most important thing in your life and then with a little bit of, of time and distance, you realize I can, I can survive without, or I can find other things mm-hmm. that tap into that, um, that exertion that I feel like I need to have output somewhere. You know what I mean? For sure. Mine yeah. was surfing. So I've been surfing since yeah. basically I could walk. And so I, I get it in that sense. It's not that I can't do it anymore. So it's a different experience. I'm just geographically separated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so what I, do you feel like made it better for you? For me, it was exercise, any type of movement. If I can just continue yeah. to move, it allows me to yeah. process better as far as that yeah. creative expressing myself physically. So now I've tried skateboarding. Ryan built me a skate ramp in the backyard, and <laughs> we've broken a couple, well, I've broken a wrist since then. So I keep yeah. finding my way. Right mm-hmm. now, it's yoga and walking with friends. That just feeds my yeah. soul. It's not the same as riding a wave. Don't get me wrong. I'm, <laughs> but totally. God is weaving that into my life mm-hmm. and and I know yeah. he is so it makes it easier sure and well, I appreciate and there, you talk go ahead 
Oh, I was just going to say, you know, there's fewer sharks in yoga than yeah. there are on a wave, too. So it's yeah. probably helpful. Totally. Sorry, Orange, County, Orange County, where we were, is, is infested just with sharks. Deluge of yeah. sharks out there. It's Great all lights. over it. Yeah, yeah. totally. Be careful, totally. my SoCal friends. I really appreciate you. you said time is one of those big factors because that's the truth. It is. And we are in this instant gratification society. When Amazon Prime came out, nothing made me happier. And you order something and you can get it tomorrow. You know, I mean, yep. I that. love that. And it's the beauty of Amazon. They know how we operate. And time is the healer. Time is one of the better mm-hmm. healers. When you try to stay present, when you are telling the Lord, I'm sad and I don't like this yeah. and I think it stinks and I don't understand why you did this. And he goes, yeah, you don't. You don't understand. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to, but I'm still God. And you go, all right, just want to let you know I'm unhappy about it. And he goes, okay. And, yeah. and we stick with it. And yeah. the next day it gets a little better. Yeah. And then a few days down the road, it's way worse again. Yeah. And then it'll get a little better. And yep. and again, I can't, I mean, oh my goodness, being at the finish line for your husband's marathon, oh. that's got to be so painful yeah i mean physically you've just had a surgery and you're thinking i never get to do this thing that brings Mm. me joy again i'm so sorry like i'm sad thinking about it and i love the courageous struggle i love the struggle Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i mean it's kind of a common struggle though as i started thinking more and more about home i i realized all of us have these stories of loss in some way or another, yep. whether it's a loss of identity mm. or a loss of geography, a loss of a relationship that meant that was a home in itself to you. It is so common to have these stories and we're all kind of grappling with what is home now that I'm estranged from this thing that was home to me before. And there's some comfort in that. Don't you think that it's, mm, it's not yeah. an unusual struggle to feel far from a settledness that you knew before. Mm. Well, and I think, too, if you're open to engage it in yourself, uh, people will notice that and they'll be able to engage their own loss and their Mm. own grief. I I love people that walk out their grief well. And I'm sitting here next to my producer and she had lost her father and she just walks out Mm. her grief well. And Mm. and it's been awesome to watch. Mm. So good job, Kristen. But, you know, sometimes it's I know grief and loss can get people really squirrely sometimes, too, Mm -hmm. you know, and just I love how you're just taking a stand for the truth and for God. So do you have anything you would say to the moms out there that are looking for that home or trying to create that for themselves? Let me jump in just for one second. Before that, here's what I love that you do tell all the moms or the spouses who have husbands that are deployed or who are going through loss or are struggling with identity. What I love is you're saying that it's okay. You should feel this way. You should feel sad. You should have deep grief. You should feel a sense of loss. The tears that you're experiencing, so normal, so healthy. (laughs) You know, our counselors, when when you're like, oh, I just feel like crying, they're like, good, cry more, cry harder. Cry harder. (laughs) Cry harder. Yeah. I love that you say that. I know, you know, as a Christian and in the faith community, people are afraid of emotion because we feel it makes our faith weak, and it doesn't. Hmm. It makes our faith strong. It makes it... Uh, approachable when you go I'm you know you've been in San Diego you're back in Colorado Springs there's two feelings one I'm home again and two oh mm-hmm. I'm gonna miss all the all the friends I had in San Diego yeah. it's it's okay to feel both it's okay to be sad mm-hmm. and happy at the same time mm-hmm. and telling yeah. people out there it's okay to be sad when your spouse gets deployed it's okay to be sad when you mm-hmm. lose your identity all those that is the greatest gift mm-hmm. for for me in this book Hmm. Thanks. 
Thanks for saying that. Yeah, and I'm sorry, I interrupted Laura so bad, but she was talking about that process of community building. You know, you're back, you're starting it again. You've got some community already, but you're building a new community. Yeah, what I are think some we're those... gonna have to have some dinner. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'll be right Love over. It. Are you cooking? Because I'll come right over. I like sure. to cook. <laughs> Perfect. I'm your new best friend. Um, awesome. Yeah, well, you said something too about um, moms or, or parents. How did you phrase it, Laura? You said something about... Um, Having a sorry, you're gonna have to repeat the question for me. Uh oh. Well, you were talking about moms who are trying to build a community oh, trying, brand yeah, from trying scratch. Trying to find a place you know, home. When you got have it. been, to, you know, when your husband gets stationed in a new place. I mean, we live. Let's see, we've got Air Force Academy, Shriver, Peterson, um, Shriver, and Carson. Carson. That's yeah, good job. I mean, we're surrounded by military. So there are constantly families moving here for the very first time. You know, I keep yep. hearing about couples that are buying homes without ever having walked in them. I mean, yeah. that's a that's a full military thing. I'm like, whoa, it's so bold. It's so bold. You know, what if they don't show you all the little hidden things like, well, it sucks to be you. You just got to do it, you know. So what are some of those early steps? It's so it makes you feel so anxious. You know, it's so funny where you're like, hey, I need a friend. Are you a friend? You know, that yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so you for next steps I think when you get to a new place whether it's geographically a new place or some of the more abstract ways we've been talking about like getting to a new time in your identity or a new time in your purpose I found that I'll get caught up sometimes in the big ideological questions like what do I do next how do I have a sense of mission and I almost get bogged down in being Mm. overwhelmed and how to move forward yeah and so one of the things I have to tell myself is just just do the next thing Mm, and for me, when we move thing. to a new place, doing the next thing in terms of meeting people is trying to be in my front yard or in a visible area in my neighborhood as much as possible. Mm. And that has been such a gift to me. In San Diego, um, we had such an incredible community that just happened because my kids and I were at the park every afternoon at the same time when the other moms were there and, and a few dads too. And I'm not sure that our backgrounds were all that similar. We had very different views on politics during the 2016 election. Like there was <laughs> Ooh, so baby. much diversity in yeah. that park world, but just the overlap of life in being at the park at the same time, living in the same neighborhood gave us a gift of community. And so I think of that now, whenever I move to a new place, like how can I be visible in my community? And maybe if it's not a neighborhood community, maybe it's a church community, or maybe it's at the gym going to the same class at the same time. Mm. Like how can I make myself visible in a place where I have overlap of life with people that I can engage in relationship? Well, and I love and, how you're saying being consistent yeah. too. I think consistency yeah. helps guide us in, in our vision too. Mm. So that's awesome. Okay, keep cool. going. <laughs> Sorry. I love the overlap though. That's such yeah. a smart thing. Easy. As a dad, I wouldn't have thought of that. Right. Like, hey, when are moms going to be at the park? Oh, that's a smart thing to do. When are moms going to be at Starbucks? When are they going to be at the play date place? Yeah. When are they going to be at monkey business? When are they going to be at the gym? For sure. The and the consistency off. of, we were we just joined a pool and we've seen a couple people a couple of times since we joined. And it's like, oh, that's the beginning of a friendship. Yeah. All right. Totally. And I saw well, Kristen and- Baldini there. <laughs> Not that that's Perfect. the beginning of yeah. a friendship, but I was like, hey. <laughs> We have something in common. For our listeners, that's a common friend that we have with That's a sister-in-law. That's right. For the listeners, I teach homeschool with Becca's sister-in-law, Kristen Baldini. A Mm -hmm. shout out to you. I hope you're listening. (laughs) She is the best. 
she so is the best could work become friends with her yeah um yeah i was gonna say about the overlap of life i don't know if you guys have experiences in parenthood but before we had kids we had so much more um like free time to meet somebody and be like oh let's meet for coffee three days yeah. from now or do you want to meet up at a restaurant mm. and now with kids the margin of time we have to socialize is like <laughs> Sunday minutes. afternoons and like between work and bedtime. Totally. And There's so, so many moms that are like, wait, you have time to socialize? Where, where did you find yeah. it? <laughs> where can I find this, this amazing time to socialize? <laughs> yeah. But I'm telling you, without overlap of life, it just doesn't happen. Like maybe we'll see friends mm. once every six months if there isn't overlap of life. Mm. But the people that we see without having to try yeah. are the ones that we end up building a relationship with in this season of life because you have so little time to schedule and fit those um, socialization times in. Have you guys found that too? Yes. Totally. I'm, you're just totally. Speaking our language. Preach it. Awesome. <laughs> it's funny when like uh, Lincoln had, oh, we had a sleepover and we just had Lucy and it's like, oh my goodness, one kid is so easy. Is this what it used to be like? Yeah. Really? You well, just pack a kid up? About, this is hard. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. Becca, for those of us that aren't in the military, we have so many friends that are. When Laura was in MOPS, it was very important. Like, I travel a ton. It's not like deployment. And you better not compare the two when you're in front of a bunch of military people because you're going to get that look uh, from military why? people like, ooh, you went away for 10 whole days? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> How was that coming home? You know, what's it oh, like yeah, yeah. to know your husband's going to be gone for six months. And this is the other part. I'm not sure what your husband does in the military. We have so many military friends. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, your husband is near a front line and they have Mm -hmm. a five-gallon bucket to shower in in the day and they're eating MREs every day and they don't get to call you. And sometimes they're at a base where they've got a Domino's on base and you can Skype on a regular basis. What are the things we don't know? What are your struggles? As those of us listening who know military people... What do we need to know about you guys? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's a really thoughtful question. I mean, we've experienced in our family life both just some extended trips where my husband is gone and it's totally safe. He's like eating at Applebee's every night and having, you know, totally. a little vacation. <laughs> and then other times where he did have a very dangerous deployment in Afghanistan. So in oh. terms of what sorts of things that um, that can be helpful maybe to military families, I watched, especially some military spouse friends of mine, myself included, when you are going through that season of single parenthood or not just figuring out parenthood on your own, but the emotional energy of worrying about a spouse, it is so exhausting. Mm. (laughs) And especially it seems like after the military service member leaves, there is this outpouring of verbal support. It's like, let me know if you need anything. Oh, we're here for you. And then nothing until right before the homecoming. And I think it's because people assume mm. that if they don't hear from you, you don't you're need fine. anything. You're doing okay. great. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I would encourage those who have close relationships or close proximity to uh, those in the military, don't even wait for mm. someone in that situation to reach out. Bring them a meal. Like, don't even ask what night, just bring it to them in a foil disposable package and say, throw it in the freezer if you don't need it tonight, but don't worry about food tonight. Or say, hey, I'd love to take the kids in the next three days. Mm. What time Mm. works for you? And being so almost aggressive and inserting yourself as a a helpful resource, I think 
can be so powerful. And I think it helps military um, family members feel like they're not forgotten or invisible mm. because that's sometimes how it can seem when yeah. your spouse is gone mm-hmm. for a long time. It's like um, this service member is off doing something that is uh, seemingly brave and applauded by all of America. And wow, mm. what a hero. And you're kind of behind the scenes doing the more <laughs> menial and invisible tasks. It feels like, yeah. Um, and and I'm not saying one task is better than the other, whether the forward deployed or, or the at home one. But whatever you can do to remind that family member that they're seen and you're you're present for whatever they need, that is a really powerful gesture. Perfect. Yeah. I love Thank that. You. It's such a great thing. And I'm going to add to that: if you know somebody who's got home hospice care, if you have someone on long term mm-hmm. disability. Uh, or mm-hmm. someone taking care of a sick spouse or a sick family member, do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I've got someone going yeah. through that, and that's what I'm hearing. You can't wait for them to reach out because they they're so busy. They're so stressed. Mm-hmm. There's so many things on their plate. You know, you go from co-parenting to single parenting, and everything changes. So they're not thinking, yeah. oh, I should call five or six people, get yeah. a little meal train going, uh, get a little housekeeping <laughs> happening, some babysitters. Yeah, I'm just going to sit down for the next hour and schedule out my next six months. I mean, you're yeah. cleaning poopy diapers and sweeping floors yeah. and doing all that kind of stuff. So yeah. I love it. Becca, you have been a joy. Thank you so much. Please come back on the program again. Uh, there's a bunch of local people. I think we should have everybody over and just kind of do a big panel discussion. That'd be fun. Perfect. Yeah. Well, Laura's going to cook, so we'll all come over. Yeah, and totally. And <laughs> Rebels, we are out of time for today, but I hope you enjoyed Becca DeFelice and her book, Almost There. It really did help me feel more settled, and it helped me gain some tools on when I am traveling so much like I am now, when I am working more days than I probably ought to, what should I do? What can I do to settle it back down, to get back face-to-face and present with my family? This one helped me. I hope it did you too. I can't wait to see you every Monday and Friday for the live videos on Facebook. It's Rebel Live every Monday and Friday, 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern, facebook.com slash Dobson. Can't wait to see you all guys next week. I love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.